Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So yesterday we had our walk for water, and uh, I am just really, our goal was, our goal was to get 200 walkers and to raise enough funds to be able to drill four clean, fresh, safe water wells in Uganda. And um, so we did this, that's 200 people, Um, and what happened was, our goal was to be able to raise enough to do four wells, we actually raised enough for five wells. And then some. Right now, we've, we've still got kind of a running total going. It's money has still been coming in. But right now, it looks like we have raised over $54,000. So that is just so cool. So thank all of you who walked. Thank all of you who worked so hard on putting this thing together. Thank those of you who sponsored a walker. Um, that is going to make a difference in like 20,000 lives in Uganda. One well can service up to 4,000 people in a village. And so um, that's just an incredible thing. And we're excited about it. And we're celebrating that. And it's really what we mean when we talk about being the church. And that's what this whole next couple of weeks is going to be about. For the next 10 weeks, we're going to be talking about being the church. Because the church is not, it's not a building. It's not an institution. Um, it's not programs. It's people. But specifically, it's people who have come together and are united in faith and mission. And so sometimes we get kind of confused because we talk about going to church. And for the next couple of weeks, we're not talking about going to church. We're going to talk about being the church. And what we're going to be doing is going through, as Larry mentioned, this book of Ephesians. And really what Ephesians is, it's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church, a specific local church in a town called Ephesus. And, and actually, it is actually a letter that was circulated not just in the Ephesian churches, but all throughout Asia Minor, which is like modern day Turkey. And so Paul wrote this letter for a couple of very specific reasons that they would understand what it means to be in Christ and what it means to be in the church and what it means to be the church. So that's what we're going to do for the next couple of weeks. And today we're just going to read the introduction and kind of study together a little bit the introduction to this letter. So if you want to turn there, we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. You can use your Northgate app. We have an app for that um, with a link to the scriptures. You can do that. You can also take notes on the Northgate app. If you haven't downloaded that, you can do that. It's on iPhone as well as Android. Um, and for those of you who are old timers, you can just use paper and pen, okay? Um, and, and the book, okay? So that's what we're going to be, whatever your mode is, this is what we're going to do. Ephesians chapter 1, this is how Paul starts the letter. It's Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, 
to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we are also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purposes of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who were God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, if you found that a little hard to follow, you're not alone. Paul tends to let, read, like write like when I was a kid, like in junior high and high school, one of the biggest problems when I would get papers back in English was run-on sentences, okay? Well, this is like one big, long run-on sentence, but, but I'm going to break it down for you. It really comes down to one simple thing. What Paul wants everybody to know and what he's going to emphasize and go through in the rest of this letter as we go through this together in the next 10 weeks, it really comes down to this. You are a part of something bigger than yourself. If you want to condense that whole big, long thing, that's simply what he's saying is you are a part of something bigger than yourself. When you put your faith in Christ, when you choose to follow him, when you put your life in line with him, you become a part of something bigger than yourself. And, and, and God has gifted you and blessed you in so many ways. And we're just going to kind of take three of them today. And over the next couple of weeks, what we're going to do is kind of expound on each of them. But this is what Paul says. You're a part of something bigger than yourself. And as a part of something bigger than yourself, you've been given certain things. The first is you've been given a new identity. You've been given a new identity. He starts with the very first sentence, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now that phrase, in Christ, or in Christ Jesus, or in him, or in the one he loves, that becomes a theme throughout this whole letter. In fact, in those first 14 verses that we read, 11 times he refers to this idea that you are now in Christ. In the rest of the letters, 34 more times he keeps using that phrase. What he wants us to understand is when you put your faith in Christ, you get a new identity. You are a different person. Now, there's a lot of ways that we identify ourselves. If you were to ask me, what's your identity? Well, I am Ken Jensen. And if I described it a little bit further, I am a white, middle-class, aging baby boomer (laughs) with thinning hair and one deaf ear, okay? That's me. That's how I would describe myself. In some ways, that's my identity. To my family, to my family, I am the firstborn of Gordon and Roberta Jensen of San Mateo, California. I am husband to Betty, father to Aaron and Eric Jensen, and to my grandkids, I am Papa. To my church, I'm a pastor. To the crew of the boat that I sail on racing on Thursday nights, I am (laughs) four-deck. Around the Benicia Unified School District, I am known as Betty's husband. And when I was, back in the day, when I was working with Little League and soccer, I was known as coach. And to some of those other coaches, unfortunately, there were probably some times when I was known as that jerk. (laughs) Or maybe something worse. (laughs) See, there's all kinds of ways in which we identify ourselves, that this is who we are. But what Paul says is, wait a minute, beyond all of that, when it comes to any way that you would identify yourself, identify yourself in this. You are now in Christ. And that changes everything. Now you have a new identity. 
And that identity in Christ that he keeps going over, over and over and over and over again throughout this whole letter, that new identity says your life is changed. That, by the way, is why baptism is so important. That's why we celebrate our baptisms around here because in baptism, what somebody is doing is they are making a public declaration to say, my life is now in Christ. And when we baptize somebody, it is symbolic of that old identity, that old life, that old way of being has been dead and buried and raised to a new life. Now, yeah, you look at me and say, well, there's an awful lot of the old Ken Jensen still hanging around. Yeah, there is. But I have a new identity now. I am in Christ. You are in Christ. And that identity determines everything else. It determines our activity. He goes on, he says, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now that word holy or holiness, that doesn't get a lot of of, of good press these days. When we use the word holy, usually it's like holy cow or holy moly or holy whatever you want to fill in that blank with. And it's just kind of a word that we just toss around. We don't even know what that means. Or sometimes if we use that word holy or holiness, it's really more derogatory. Like that holy Joe or all those holy rollers, or you think you're holier than me. Sometimes, even in our own thinking, we think of holiness as being, you know, lemon-faced, prim, and proper, and prudish, and shrinking our fingers at everybody else. That is not biblical holiness. When Paul writes about being holy, there's kind of two aspects to it. There's a part of it which has to do with wholeness, that now I am whole. There is an integrity about my life that I, that I become something different on the inside that starts to live itself out on the outside. And there is a new holiness, a new wholeness about my life. But with that also comes this other aspect to it that I am wholly set aside or set apart for God. That my life is now whole because of him and I live it wholly for him. And however that works itself out in my life, what Paul is saying is, you have been given this new identity on the inside, and this idea of holiness is about living out that new identity. And when we talk around here, we say, yeah, we are all people in process. None of us has it all figured out. None of us has it all together. All of us have our struggles and our stumbles and our own issues, but God has given us a new identity, and what we are doing here in this new identity is we are learning how to live that new life out. That's what holiness is about. That there's this wholeness about me on the inside that starts to work itself out in my daily living. And so that's what I mean when I say that our identity determines our activity. Now, that is different, by the way, than every other major world religion. Because every other religion says, act like this to become that. Do these certain rituals, perform in this way, Um, do these certain activities. If you do all of those things, then you will be. And Paul says, no, 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 it's completely the opposite. It's you are already new in Christ. And that new identity is how you live out the rest of your life. And when we talk about people in process, that's what we mean. But the point is, the point is that you should be making progress in that process. That we don't use that as an excuse to say, well, nobody's perfect. No, nobody's perfect. But God given us a new identity. And so we are learning to live out 
that new identity. He says, in him, there it is again, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Now again, redemption, that's another one of those words that needs a little bit of explanation. And the best way I can explain it to you is um, think pawn shop, okay? Because what happens is, you know, if you kind of find yourself in a, in a difficult position financially and maybe you've got a ring or a watch or something of value, you can go and pawn it. And what you do is you take that article to the pawn shop and they'll say, say I want to pawn this. They will keep it for you and they will give you a certain amount of money and they will give you a certain amount of time in which you can come back with the money and buy back what is already yours, okay? That, that idea of coming and buying back what you had lost because of debt That's redemption. Redemption literally is buying back. Now, in Paul's time and in Jesus' time, see, they didn't have diamond rings or or gold watches or something else. If they got into debt beyond themselves and had no way of, 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 of repaying that debt, what they would end up doing is selling themselves into slavery. And so when Paul uses that term about redemption, he is talking about buying somebody back from slavery. That you were once a slave to sin. You were enslaved by that addiction or that, that, that compulsive behavior, whatever it is for you. You were enslaved by that, but you have been redeemed. God has bought you back. That's what Jesus was doing on the cross. He was paying that ransom. He was buying back your life and mine so that you and I would have this new identity, this new life. And Paul says, what you got to understand is that you are a part of something bigger and God has picked you up and he has bought you back. And he's given you this new identity. And that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Not only that, you've also been given a new community. Specifically, a new family. He says this. He says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. The NIRV puts it this way. He adopted us as his children with all the rights children have. What that means is now you belong that your standing with God is not tenuous. It is not shaky ground. He has adopted you as his own child. And all that comes with that. Now again, in our day and in our culture, adoption sometimes carries a stigma with it for some people. But, but to the people that Paul is writing to, they understand, because adoption in those days, adoption happened from, from, from the, the rich people. The elite, the ruling class, they were the ones who did adoption. If they had no heir, if they had no heir to the throne, if they had no heir to their inheritance, if they had no heir to that authority or power, they would adopt someone, and that adopted son would become the heir with all of the rights and privileges. And in fact, in Paul's time, the most famous adoptee of all was Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. And so when they're thinking adoption, that means power, that means privilege, that means elite status, that means, that's like like the Roman emperor, that's Caesar. When he's talking about adoption here, he's talking about something incredibly powerful. And the reason he uses that term is that he is writing this letter to a scattering of churches all throughout Asia Minor, and even in the church in Ephesus, they didn't have big church buildings where they gathered together, and it was really a network of house churches, 
little small groups being persecuted, little small groups whose lives were being threatened by their faith, and they met in groups of 10 to 12 to 20 people in a home. And he's saying to them, listen, you are part of something bigger than yourself. He wanted them to know that you who are fearing for your life and you who are gathered together in secret over here, just you little 10, you little 12 people, you are a part of a whole network, a whole network of what God is doing in this world. And this is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, worldwide movement, and you're a part of it. You're part of something bigger than yourself. And he wants us to identify with his family. And for us today in our day and age, it's about, it's about membership, it's about committing, it's about being a part of a church family, a local church. Most of the New Testament is letters written by the apostles, but more often than not, the apostle Paul, to local churches. And he wants you to identify. And when we talk about membership around here, it's not because you learn a secret handshake and you get certain rights and privileges. No, it's saying, no, I am I'm a part of this body. And I'm identifying myself with this mission and with this vision and what this church is doing in this local community. And that's what Paul is writing to the Ephesian church. It's what he's writing to you and me today. And he doesn't do this. God doesn't do this grudgingly. He doesn't do it out of compulsion. He hasn't adopted you because he had to. In fact, Paul puts it this way. He says, he didn't do it grudgingly or resentfully. He did it in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. That our God, our heavenly father, our adopted heavenly father, he is a lavish, extravagant, generous, gracious God. And I think too often we have a wrong perception of God. So I mean, even, even us who are Christ followers, we still have this nagging in the back of our minds, this idea of, of God as this grumpy old man. You know, the, the grumpy old man who lived on the corner house when you were a kid. Anybody have one of those? Okay. In my neighborhood growing up? Yeah. I don't know why it is. Grumpy old men always buy the corner house. And they never want you to walk on their lawn. And you're a kid, and of course, you always cut the corners. And so yeah, we had one guy. He was the grumpy old man on the block, the corner house. He would sometimes sit out there with his garden hose, pretending to be watering, but he was just waiting for us to put a step on his grass. And I think sometimes we have this perception that that's God. He's that grumpy old man in the corner house. And if, if you want anything from him, you've got to somehow coerce it out of him. And if you want him to like you, you've got to have to appease him in some way. And Paul's saying, no, that's not God. That's not your heavenly father. He is gracious. He is generous. He is extravagant. He lavishes his grace upon us. Blessing after blessing after blessing. In fact, if you read that whole section in the original language, it's pretty much one run-on sentence that just goes on and on. It just keeps building on it and building on it and building on it. And it's like, it's like the end of a fireworks display, you know, when they go boom, 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 and it's all just coming. He's saying, this is our God. He's extravagant. He's incredible. He's gracious. And he's giving you this new family. And you're a part of something bigger than yourself. And he does it lavishly. I think one of the problems that we have, I think particularly, particularly in the United States and in our culture, we all have this sense of entitlement. And I'm not talking about the welfare state. I think every one of us have this feeling like we are owed something. I am an American. I deserve a better life. And I am owed this better life. And that somehow God owes me something. 
I, I was reading this week. Actually, I haven't picked up the book that it intrigues me. I was reading another book that referenced this one book, and I can't even remember the title. I'd have to go back and look it up. But it, it's something about the way that we drive. And the writer of the book says that the premise of the whole book is that the way that we drive reveals so much about our character and our values and who we are. And, and one of the things he says is that when we drive, when we get on the freeway and we get in one lane, that is our lane. And don't you get in my lane. And if you're in my lane and you're going too slow, you should be moving out of my lane because this is my lane. I own this lane, you know? And, and, then, and that's kind of our mentality. And the trouble with that mentality is we lose a sense of gratitude. We feel like we are owed something. And because of that, we are not grateful for what we do have. John Ortberg, in his book, his latest book, Soul Keeping, he writes about this idea. He says this, this whole idea that our soul needs gratitude. And he says, he, he says, try this experiment. For one whole day, in every conversation that you have, in every greeting, in any encounter that you have with somebody else, start it out or somewhere in the conversation, give it a complaint. You know, you meet somebody and say, how are you doing? Oh, life is miserable right now. I'm too busy. I got way too much to do. Or, oh, man, my back's been bothering me. Or I got a horrible night's sleep. Or whatever it is, just go through one whole day in every conversation with complaint. And at the end of the day, see where your mind and your heart and your spirit is at and how much it, 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 it colors everything else. Then he says, take the next day and in every encounter, and in every conversation, and in every greeting, start it with something you're grateful for. And at the end of the day, see how much different you feel after a day of gratitude than you do after a day of complaint. We live in a family with a loving, gracious, generous, lavishly extravagant Heavenly Father. (laughs) And it would do us well to just become a little bit more grateful and recognize what he has given to us. But that's not the best part. Something else. You and I have been given now a purpose. A new purpose. That God is up to something big in this world. Something huge. Paul puts it this way. With all wisdom and understanding, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That God is doing a huge thing. He is doing a big, big thing in this world. He is up to something big. The message paraphrase puts it this way. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. See, that's why what you and I do with our lives matters. What you do with with your one and only life, what I do with my one and only life matters. It matters not just for my legacy or your legacy or my sense of significance or your sense of significance. What you do with your life matters for eternity. 
And he says, God is up to something big in this world. It is huge. He is bringing all of creation, everything in the heavens and the earth, all together in unity. We spent the whole year last year going through the story from Genesis to Revelation. And it was the unraveling of God's story, the revealing of God's story throughout creation that from the very beginning, God has been about this restoring, redemptive, renewing process in this world. And he accomplished it in Jesus Christ. And someday, someday, it's going to reach its fulfillment. And that's what God's doing in this world. And you and I, you and you and you and I have a part in this. He said, it's a mystery. It is so incredible. Nobody can understand it. But God is up to something huge in this world. And you've been given a part in it. And for your 80 years or 90 years or however many you get, or my 80 or 90 years, however many I get, it matters. It matters for eternity. Because you are playing a part in God's great story. And for generations and generations and centuries and millennia, God has been unfolding this story. And now you and I have this little sliver of time in which we fit. And that's why this whole engage emphasis that we've been doing for September is so important. Not because we need more people helping out in all these areas. Yeah, that's a part of it. But more importantly, it's what it does for you. It's fulfilling God's purpose for your life. And it's so important that you do not waste, do not waste your one and only life. God has given you a new identity. And he's put you in a new family because he has something for you to do in this world. And we ought to get about doing it. You might be here and you're thinking to yourself, well, yeah, that's easy for you to say. You're a pastor. Yeah, what you do matters. My life is not all that significant. My circle of friends are not all that great. What I do really doesn't amount to much. Paul says, you couldn't be more wrong. And for the rest of this letter, he helps him understand that. Helps us understand that. He says, here's what you need to know. God has given you this new identity. He's given this new family. He's given you this new purpose. It's all a part of his big thing that he's doing in this world. And the reason you have a part of it is because when you believed in him, this is what happened. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. That God has, God has, God has put the earnest money down on your life. <laughs> and he's not going to back out of the deal. That his Holy Spirit on your life is what empowers you and enables you and, and, and renews you for his purposes. And it's so important to him that he gave his one and only son who came and gave his one and only earthly life on a cross. And he gave his Holy Spirit to seal the deal in you because you are a part of something bigger than yourself. And God has done it in you God will do it through you. And he's given his Holy Spirit as the guarantee of it all. Would you bow your heads with me? So we've been given this new identity and this new family and this new purpose. But, but here's where I want to bring it down. Because for the last two weeks, we've been talking about getting engaged finding a new step. And, and our goal is that everybody takes one new step of engagement.
not for us nearly so much as for you. And it's easy to walk through the hallway and, you know, the lobby and maybe check out a table or sign up for something. But what I really want, what we really want, is for you to engage in God's new purpose for your life and find that place for you. And for some of you, for some of you, it might be baptism. Now, you've been a Christ follower for years, but you have never publicly said, this is my new identity, and you need to take that step. It is so vital to sealing the deal for yourself. God's done his part, but he's just saying, and it's not an act that earns you favor with God. It's just simply saying, I know who I am now in Christ. For some of you, it might be formally saying, I am a part of this church family. I'm committed to this mission and what God is doing in these communities through this church. For some of you, it might be getting beyond an hour or so on your weekend and getting out of a row and getting connected into a circle in a community group or in a small group. It might be about learning more of God's word through a Northgate U class. It might be about serving. But here's my challenge to you. Would you be willing today, even though maybe you've said no, no, no all along, just today say yes. Yes, Lord. You've got something for me and I need to find it. I don't want to waste my one and only life. And today you make a determination to say, I'm going to take a new step. I'm going to take a next step in God's plan and God's purpose, God's family for me. And I'm going to ask you to do something to seal the deal for you. And it's not going to be a big thing. It's just going to start with just raising your hand, saying, I'm going to say yes to God. I'm going to say yes to God. If you are there and you know God is moving you and he's pushing you and he's prompting you to take a new step, I'm going to ask you right now, just raise a hand and say, I'm going to say yes to God. I don't even know what it is right now, but I'm going to say yes to God. Would you just make that determination today? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Yeah. You're taking a new step in fulfilling God's purpose for your life. That is huge, huge. I'm going to pray for you as we close. But I also want to offer this opportunity. If you are here today and you've never taken a first step, oh, you've gone to church or maybe, maybe you're new to church, but, but what it comes down to really is you need that redemption part. And it's got to start with an admission, God, I need your forgiveness. I need your redemption. I need my life changed. I need your Holy Spirit. And I'm willing today to say yes to you, maybe for the very first time. I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. Just raise your hand and hold it up for a moment. And look up, actually, when you do, so I can see you and acknowledge you and tell you, yeah. 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 All right. So I'm going to ask you to join me in this prayer. And whether it's a first step of faith or renewal or just a commitment to take a new step, the prayer is pretty much the same. It's just this. Lord, here we are. Here I am with my faults, my failures, my struggles, my doubts. Imperfect though I am, I am grateful that you love me still. And I am grateful that you gave your son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for me. And today, today I'm saying yes to you. Whether it's the first time or, 
or a renewal or, or, or a new step of faith. Today I'm saying yes to you. Would you take me as I am? Would you forgive me? Would you renew me? Would you restore me? Would you make me a part of what you are doing in this world? Today I say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen. this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.